0: now in all of our studies concerning spiritual warfare, where now we need to war against the demonic. We've looked at the fallen angels that operate in the second heavens, and we discussed the possible origins of the demonic. Two different concepts. They are either the fallen spirits that fell with Lucifer, one-third, uh, that are now in the earth moving as demonic spirits. And the second concept, I lean towards this, Uh, more and more as I study, is that these would be those uh, disembodied spirits of the Nephilim that came from the angels in Genesis 6, mingling with the women of earth. Those angels were sentenced to tartar in everlasting chains, but the spirit of their offspring are potentially the demonic forces that are trying to find uh, bodies to inhabit once again. And so that's where I really believe our warfare. So we have a warfare uh, on two levels. Last week we looked at the warfare in the second heavens and in the heavenlies. Didn't we uh, uh, saw that power at work through ideas? Isn't it amazing that ideas can shape the way people live? And we saw that that influence of ideas and those uh, things that exalt themselves before God had established themselves, we also saw that through the occult there's an invitation to those spirits to come in, and then we also saw that there are uh, those who have established that work for the end times to literally uh, invade the planet, if you will, especially nowadays with a sense of an alien takeover. All right, so tonight we're going to look at the warfare on the earth that we have to face, and that is a demonic warfare. If you'll look at your notes that were handed out tonight, I want you to understand something before we get into this, and that is the authority that has been given to us in this war. You can get spooked out by this study, but you shouldn't. You have to begin to realize the power we have over this enemy. So I'm going to take you through some verses concerning the authorities we have. over demons. And Mark 16, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. All right? Uh, we know that there's more to that. Speak with new tongues. Uh, no deadly thing will harm them. But the key point tonight is they will cast out demons. You have to have authority to be able to cast something out. And that's what we have authority. We've been given a commission by Jesus Christ to go now and cast down those demonic powers and influences. Luke 10, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now that's encouraging to me. If I'm going into a warfare, he says, come on, get into that battle. They're not going to hurt you. And he begins to identify them as serpents and scorpions. Alright, so I mean... Uh, we talked about this demonic realm and this host and the variety of animals and beings that there are in the physical realm, why wouldn't there be that kind of a variety of those things and beings in the spiritual realm? We have power over them, to trample on them, to defeat them, and over all the power of the enemy. How much, over what? All the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Alright, we're not to be afraid, but we're to be smart. Okay, and so we're to go in there. I think I used the analogy before from Lord of the Rings. Uh, when I talked to you about those, what were those ugly beasts they were making out of the earth? Orcs? Orcs. Okay, all those ugly orcs, right? Massive amount of orcs everywhere. Big, ugly, ugh, creepy things. But they couldn't fight that good, could they? They had numbers, but when it came, even the little, uh, what was his guy? dwarf the little dwarf and the hobbits and everybody was slaying them and knocking them down because they weren't as quick witted they weren't as swift in fighting and in combat that's us we can mow them down we can trample them under feet but we've got to know how they operate and who they are there's many of them but greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world all right Then he called his twelve disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's Luke 9. Now when Jesus did this with his disciples, what was he training them for? Warfare. Was that a one-time event while he was there? He was teaching them, this is what you can do while I'm here, when I'm gone. Hey, you know, do the best you can. No, he was training them for kingdom living. That when he would ascend to the Father, this is what I want you to do. And from here on out, what he instructed the twelve is what he's instructing his church until he returns. Okay, and so that should be available to us, and it is. And Mark 6, "...and he called the twelve to him, began to send them out two by two, gave them power over unclean spirits. They cast out demons and anointed with oil. Many who were sick were healed." Matthew 10, and when he called his twelve, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, heal all kinds of sicknesses. Those three are, uh, again, repeating from the Gospels that declaration. Now in Matthew 10, again he says, go rather uh, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Powerful gospel. And in spiritual realms, that's what we have. Paul says we have weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're powerful, pulling down of strongholds. But if we're ignorant of our authority and power, we're weak in this world. And in the United States, most of Christianity has kind of uh, pulled and meeked out the whole aspect of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is just for those kind of Jesus freaks, you know, who handle snakes and are kind of weird. That's what they try to portray, in mainline denominations. Uh, talking to R.T. Kendall this weekend, there is going to be a new book coming out this fall and a tour that is coming out by mainline evangelical pastors. You know their name. They're on the radio regularly. And the book is a, called Strange Fire, and it is coming against Pentecostal charismatic Christianity. That it is just a bunch of goofiness. Well, how many of you know there's a lot of goofiness out there? Ridiculous stuff in the name of Jesus. All right, We reject that as well, but we do not reject the gospel uh, that the Lord has given. We're in for uh, a heck of a time, folks. Coming out even this fall, you'll be hearing it on the radio. It will be coming to our town and our city. A blatant coming forth against Pentecostal and charismatic movements. So get ready to defend your positions. All right? Against whom? (laughs) This is the thing. Against our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, we don't want to demonize them. They're our brothers and sisters. But we also have to be able to give a readied defense of our understanding of Scripture. Amen? So it's pretty tricky out there. But uh, do you think this world needs deliverance from the demonic? Even in America? I mean, America is so intelligent and rational and and so scientific, and we have so many... You think we really need this kind of demonic warfare and stuff? Okay, I do too. All right, let's take a look at their activities, see what these things do. Number one, we see in Matthew 9.33 and Luke 13, they cause Diseases. Demons can cause physical maladies, sickness, and disease. Now, is all sickness and disease a byproduct of demonic? No, absolutely not. There's such a thing as germs. There are germs, and there's legitimate diseases, and if you fall from a height, you'll break something. All right, there's laws of gravity. This body is susceptible to pain and disease and sickness. We are not saying that all sickness and disease is from the devil. Ultimately, all sickness is from sin, from the garden, the fall, ultimately, right? In the big picture, there's sickness and disease. Why? Because the wages of sin is what? Death, and we are all under that, that curse of dying, Okay, so that process is here. We have to contend with it, but we've got a spirit of life in us. But there is an aspect to sickness and disease, and we have to discern this. This is where a spirit of discernment and understanding comes in. There are some aspects to that that are caused from demonic. And if you look at medical reports, you'll see that a majority and I think it's up in the 80% majority of most sickness and disease and heart disease and all this is caused from stress and anxiety and depression. So if we can get people through stress, anxiety and depression and what would be a really good motivating power behind stress, anxiety and depression? Demonic forces. And the power of light—a death over this nation. So it it can work its way back to demonic. Sometimes there's overtly demonic reasons for people to be sick. We see that in the Gospels when Jesus went to heal them. He cast out demons and they were made well. Okay? Uh, And in some cases, there was an epileptic uh, boy throwing himself into the fire with convulsions. It was demonic. All right? Now, is all epilepsy demonic? No. No. Again, let's not be, uh, lump everything in one category, okay? You've got to be careful, especially when you're reading books about uh, uh, deliverance and so forth. They'll give you common lists of maladies from demons. If you're not careful, you fit every one of those lists, or at least your cousins and your uncles and your aunts do. You'll go through the list depressed. You know, they have this, or they have uh, uh, some issue. There are real physical problems and real issues. Not all are demonic. So be careful when you're reading those lists. Okay? Um, so, uh, but we do understand that demons can cause disease. That's why we have a healing team. That's why we pray for the sick. And when I pray for someone, I cover it all. When I'm at the altar and they say, you know what, I've got a cold or someone, the doctor said I have cancer or I have this or that, I will pray to bind that sickness and that disease and then I will bind the spirit of that sickness and that disease. I'm covering all the bases. Does that make sense to you? All right, so we move in that way. So uh, uh, we, we try to do our best to understand how to bring everything in subjection to Christ, whether it is physical or whether it's spiritual. Okay, All right, what else do they do? Their activities is they possess unbeliever, unbelievers and animals. All right, we know from one of the gospel stories where uh, legion was in a particular man, and, and legion is hundreds and hundreds of demons, uh, and Jesus cast them out into the pigs, the swine. Remember that? Swine ran off the cliff. So uh, we know that demons inhabit different kind of animals. And uh, you'll see it in, in throughout history. They, they inhabit different beings and beasts and animals, but they can also possess people. Now, let me make a real clear point here. Possession means ownership of property. Okay? If someone is not saved, if they've not been bought with the price of the blood of Jesus, then they are left in the open to an enemy. And they can easily be possessed. Now, all unbelievers are led astray by demonics. All right? Because they're they're led by their own flesh and desires. That doesn't mean everybody who's not a believer is possessed. It doesn't mean that at all. Okay? So everybody who's an unbeliever isn't possessed. But they can get to a place where they are demonized and become possessed. Owned by those who would inhabit them. The big question people always ask is, can a believer in Jesus Christ be possessed? No, they can't be possessed because who possesses or owns the believer? Jesus. Why? We were bought by his blood. Therefore, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. So we are possessed Owned in ownership by the Lord. He bought our spirit, soul, and body completely. Can a believer be oppressed or demonized? Yes. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. Okay? But not possessed. We can belong to God, and we can be in a place where we are being demonized by spirits. Okay? And we need to understand that. Now, let's go back. So we know that they want to possess unbelievers. Let's look at Matthew 12, 43. When an unclean spirit... Now, Jesus is speaking about demons, and he's speaking specifically to the Pharisees and Sadducees, basically speaking to Israel. When you put this in the context of whom he's speaking to, he's speaking to Israel, saying that this was your time to be healed and to be cleansed by the presence of Messiah. Messiah. But you have not received, and missing out of my entrance into Judaism, into Israel, now the enemy can wreak havoc with you and cause great damage to you. And that is what happened to Israel. Now, that is the specific point of this verse, but in it we can learn principles of how demons work in general, okay? In general, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be also with this wicked generation. So what he's saying to Israel, it's going to be worse for you. Now that you've rejected Messiah, it's going to be worse for you than it ever has been. We see in 70 AD the temple destroyed and Judaism is trying to figure out where they belong in the scheme of things. Okay? Now, but what we learn from these principles is that when a demon is inhabiting someone, it finds what? Rest. It seems that as they are out of, it calls it, when it's out of the body of a human, it calls it dry places. You know what that reminds me of? Have you ever seen the pictures of little kids in Africa and all the other nations, and you see flies buzzing around them and in their eyes and everything? Isn't that a sad picture? Why are the flies always buzzing around their eyes, nose and mouth? For moisture. For moisture. I think of demons in that same sense. They're in dry places. They want to come back to where they are being fed or nourished somehow, where they have rest. There's unrest for those spirits outside of a house that they can get into. And and there are many, so they want to find room for as many as possible. Hey, you know what? They want to have a party. They want to get more people involved. Well, they're not people, but... Now, what I find interesting is this. He says, when I return to my house, that sense of ownership, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Now, I looked up the Greek for put in order. And and the King James says, garnished. What's garnish? Decorating. Not only is this place swept clean, right? It's decorated and made pretty. So, there's one problem though. It's, it's in fact even prepared for honor. It's empty, it's swept clean, it's garnished, it's decorated, but it's, it has no, it's still empty for the Spirit to come right back in. Because you, you may have uh, gotten your act together. You may have, through AA or some help, quit drinking or quit your drug addiction but if you didn't have god's spirit come to dwell in you all you did was clean the place up but it's void of a spirit because without christ we're dead in our spirits and so those spirits want to come into that void and so people through self-help books and all sorts of activities try to improve their lives honestly and they try to do well but the problem is If they've not received Christ to dwell in that place where there was always a void, those spirits want to come back and they'll invite more. And so their situation's worse than ever. Now, I learned this while I was in South Africa, and it helps me understand when to bring deliverance to someone and when not to, especially to an unbeliever. What I want to teach and talk to you tonight is we have to be a people prepared for delivering other people. We need to all be in the ministry of deliverance. Just like we're all in the ministry of evangelism. Just like Paul said, I would that you all prophesy. Right? We should all be in these areas of ministry. We're going to come into, especially more and more in these days, we're going to come into people and places that you'll know they're demonized. Whether possessed or just in a minor level of demonization, we need to be able to deal with that. Now when you're dealing with an unbeliever, who is demonized. You need to make the determination whether you should bring them into deliverance or not. Many times what happens is, as Christians, we get overzealous. You need deliverance. We're just going to go right for this. And you could be causing greater harm for them than they need at that time. What they might need is some evangelism. They might need some love. They might need some encouragement to come forward towards Christ. The goal is Christ. Because if you deliver them too soon, you may create a problem for the demonics to come back. If they don't come to Christ. We have authority over demons. We can cast demons out of people. But if those people didn't want that demon gone, he'll come right back. Now I learned this in South Africa a number of years ago. We were ministering in, um, I, I believe it was called Elizabeth, South Africa. If you'll pardon me for a minute, my shoe's untied. And I'm going to trip, and it'll be funny, and you'll laugh at me. Okay. And so we were brought into this prison. You remember this, Brian? Brian was there. And um, it was about three or four years after apartheid. And so we brought our our musical group and a drama team, and we went into this prison, right? And so they're all out Side at this prison, and there's one metal door. So they open the metal door, and we bring all our equipment in. We all come in, and here we are, a bunch of white people, and all the prisoners are black from, from apartheid, from the, the terrible laws and everything in South Africa. So we get in there, and we hear okay. <laughs> So we had to minister now, and we were scared. So um, we we first went over into the woman's side, and and there was this sweet spirit of ministry to them, and we really felt to, to really give them the message that Jesus loved them, much like Jody was sharing in that video. And we began playing the music. We began playing worship music. We began playing praise music, and it broke down. All the resistance and people were responding, and we began to pray for them. and, and Pastor Isaac Sebeli came and shared a message, and it was a powerful move of God. And we began to pray for these ladies. And what was so amazing and awesome is that you had the white guards standing in the prayer lines with the with the prisoners. All of a sudden, everything broke down as to who is a guard, who is a prisoner, who is this. Everybody was in the presence of God wanting ministry. It was awesome. And so there were lines of guards and prisoners, guards and prisoners, just and were praying and laying hands and seeking God on them and praying for them. And then this was going beautifully. It was just an amazing experience. And then in the back, you heard this yelping go on. Wow! This wailing, ah! and this lady in the back rolling and going in convulsions all of a sudden the guards split out of the lines had to cover the doors oh, more guards came what's going on well we knew what was going on there was a demonic manifestation at the back of the courtyard and this thing was yelping and screaming now our first reaction my first reaction to the pastors was you need to get over there and begin to bring deliverance to that person you got to, you know, stop this. We have a good thing going. And the pastor said, no, no. We will not do that. And again, for the point that that person didn't want deliverance. They weren't there in that prayer line for deliverance. Does anybody know why that happened? To stop the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it was successful. Now we almost... We're told to go home but we said look at you said we could go minister on the men's side and so we were able to get over to the men's side but the enemy will always try to create a distraction and take away from the blessings of God and in that I talked to the pastors about that why don't you want to go deliver and they said you don't want to deliver a demon from someone who doesn't want a demon cast out you're creating more problem and you're wasting your time it's almost like that verse, don't cast pearls before swine, okay? So you've got to be careful about that. All right, so it's interesting that we see what these demons do, seeking rest, singing inhabitant and human beings. And there are times where people have swept clean and garnished, but they are still void of the Spirit of God. And if God doesn't take up residence, they will. All right, let's go on. So we know they cause diseases. We also know that they can possess and oppress uh, animals and human beings. Um, And that's going on a lot more often because of occult practices, uh, all sorts of trauma going on in the earth today. Uh, You see the movies and the the stuff that people are watching and opening themselves up to all this activity. Uh, So that's a real problem. Thirdly, they can oppress the spiritual growth and well-being of Christians. If we let them, if we let them, that can happen. Now, if we're ignorant of their schemes, that can happen. If we And we'll we'll cover all this, but if we move into sin or other areas, we can be oppressed and the enemy can get a stronghold in us. Now, fourthly, they spread lies about God, about his work, and about God's people. I find it really sad when the church gets involved in the enemy's work. When we get involved in being uh, um, condemning of each other, we really have to guard our tongue. You may not like someone's ministry, and you may not like a particular person, but we've got to draw the line when we begin to come against their character or their personhood. Now we're entering into the accuser of the brethren. Let's be careful with that, brothers and sisters, because speaking ill of our brothers and sisters, speaking ill of other people, even when they're wrong, let's at least uh, speak prayer towards them. Because the accuser of the brethren would love to continue to rip and tear apart and divide the body of Christ. Amen? All right. Now, we've really got to be careful with that. And I think R.T. Kendall's uh, sermon on Sunday was an excellent reference to that. Can I make a point on that again? All right, remember how he talked about the dove and the pigeon? Right. And how the dove will fly away so easily. He's so gentle and everything. Please don't get that mixed up. He did qualify that. I'm going to qualify it again, so none of you misunderstand that. He's not saying the Holy Spirit leaves us and that we're without salvation when we're troubled by Him. We're sealed unto the day of redemption. That's what he was saying. What he was using was an analogy of the anointing of God. The Spirit stays with us even when we sin, even when we fail. What he meant was as an analogy of the anointing is that he's so gentle to move away when we have attitude and issue with each other and and do not present ourselves with Christ-likeness. But he was not saying the Holy Spirit leaves us then comes back, leaves us, then comes back. I just want to make sure that you're clear on that, okay? And uh, RT would also want me to make sure that you're understanding of that. Let's go on. Basically, what demons want to do is opposition to God and oppression to man. Why does a demon want to oppress man? Who does it hurt? hurts God. Right? It hurts the work of Christ, who died for all mankind, that men would be free. Right? And it hurts the people, and that hurts God. He opposes God and oppresses man. The exercise of power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust manner. That's what oppression means. Power in a burdensome, cruel, unjust manner. It's harassment, it's torment, it's troubling. Now, the way they can do that is they're invisible so they can scare us. Fear and intimidation is the number one weapon of the demonic. Fear and intimidation. As you grow in the knowledge of the Lord and your authority in Christ, you should be able to grow against fear and intimidation. You can call that card out. But see, what happens is you've been brought up and trained on horror movies and scary shows. You have been trained to be afraid of the dark. Come on, how many of you have watched horror shows and horror movies? All right. I had a really great slide I forgot about. I'm sorry. But when the, when the demons go through dry places and they want to find a home, there they go. They go back to their house. All right. Timing would have been better for that. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. I get caught up in talking. Now, Fear and intimidation is, is what causes many Christians to back away from this idea of demons and, and so forth. What they're trying to do is create this mystery and mystique to keep us afraid. They operate in the dark. But if you're the light, there shouldn't be darkness anywhere, even when the lights are out. All right? Right? Amen. Right? All right, so we have got to make sure that we are not intimidated demons will play that card all the time they'll scream at you they'll push at you they'll tell you they're going to kill you they're going to take you out they're going to do this and that against you but in the face of that you know who you are in Christ and you need to tell them you cannot do that so shut up and be quiet You take your position. You don't have to scream and yell. Sometimes you get excited about it. But this is what they want to do. They want to excite your flesh. If they can get you all excited about chasing them, that's a good thing. Because many times, demons want a good fight. Because they know you'll get tired. They'll know you'll get weary. Then you'll begin to doubt. Okay? You say, they'll go 13 rounds, they'll go 14 rounds with you. All right? We start getting weary, and then we begin to think, maybe I don't have authority, maybe I don't have power. This is maybe I didn't fast enough, I didn't do this enough. All right, And so we begin to back down. That's, how, that's what they use, intimidation and fear. And the people that I've worked with and, and, and ministered with in the area of deliverance are people who know their authority. When they know their authority, they don't have to go 12, 13 rounds. Because they don't fall for that, and then they don't go demon chasing either. How many of you remember the cartoons, like Looney Tunes and stuff, where where the one person's chasing the other person, and they're running and running and running and running, and they go around a tree, running, run, run, running, and the one person steps out, and watches as they all chase around the tree, and he's going, (laughs) "That's that's what demons do. Catch me if you can." And so when you're trying to work, they're going to try and use fear and intimidation. They're going to get you to try and catch them. They'll hide. They'll uh, won't talk. And, and you've got to be careful. Many times they're doing all these distractions so you'll be f- focused on the active ones so that they're distracting you from the main throne or principality that has the main stronghold in the person. And you've got to be careful. You've got to learn their ways so that when you get one and you are able to cast it out, it'll make a whole bunch of noise, a whole bunch of commotion, so everybody celebrates once it's gone. But it was ordered out by the principal demon to go. And everybody's satisfied. If you're not operating and discerning of spirits and being led by the Holy Spirit, you hey, we won, we got them. And guess what? Never touched the main throne and principality that had taken root and seat in there. We've got to be careful. We've got to watch. We've got to learn. And we can learn and grow in this, okay? And God will help us by His Holy Spirit. All right, let's go on. Now, they want to oppress. Here's their devices and schemes. 2 Corinthians 2.11 Lest Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. If we are ignorant of his devices, what's the first part of the verse say? He'll take, He'll take advantage of us. Okay? Do you know anyone who's a thief and a liar that won't take advantage of you? Right? In a deal. If, if they have no conscience, they have no sense of right and wrong, they could care less about you and you enter into a deal with them, what do they want? They want to take advantage of you. Right? There's people out there, we call them shysters, Right? Cheaters, liars, and, and uh, uh, they, they do schemes, right? Anybody of you work in retail? Someone comes to cash register, plays a scheme on you. Could I have change for a 20? No, make it a 50. could I do this? And you're all like, uh, uh, yeah, wait. Uh, uh, and you get ripped off? And they're, they're all excited about it. That's what the devil does. All right? If we're ignorant of his schemes, he will take advantage of us. Therefore, Paul says, we are not ignorant of his schemes. So we shouldn't be taken advantage of. So we've got to do some studying. We've got to learn. We've got to grow. You have to know that there is an enemy. Then you have to know and learn how he operates. If you've ever read um, the uh, um, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, I don't know if you've ever read Screwtape Letters. It's a little short book, an amazing insight into the demonic realm. And uh, I would encourage you to read it. It's uh, it's fascinating. And what people raved about this book is the insights into the demonic realm. And they said to C.S. Lewis, they said, how did you get these amazing insights into the demonic realm? It is so amazing that you had that kind of insight. And he said, it scared me because it came too easy. Recognizing in his own self the devices of, of the enemy and, and that kind of scheming. Uh, we have the ability to go there ourselves in our flesh. All right? Now, let's go on. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times... Do you think we're in the latter times? I could even qualify that to prove it to you. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit. You know when the last days are? From Pentecost on. We're in the latter times. We're in the last days. So there's a lot of this kind of activity going on. Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits, or deceiving spirits, depends on your uh, translation. I think seducing is better. Seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Seduction and ideas doctrines are concepts we think of demons now i want you to think of this seduction is lustful enticing it's tempting so demons tempt and entice they seduce Alright, they draw us. Seduction is a drawing appealing to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Any one of those areas can be seduced and tempted in any one of us. It may be sexual for one, it may be power for another. It may be love, it may be anything that you're seeking that you've lacked, and it is a seduction. Alright, so they move seducing Tempting. I find it interesting. What are doctrines? Teachings and ideas. We think of demons as these creatures that are right like Ghostbusters. They they're plasma ghosts and goofy looking things and they're entities. Demons can be as simple as concepts, they're spirits. They're spirits. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. I have ministered to a lot of people that the demonic was a lie. It wasn't necessarily this this devil-looking creature and green junk that they threw up or this or that. It was a lie. It was a concept. If they're spirit, they can be as simple as ideas and concepts that penetrate. All right? All right? So it's a dimension that, you know, we don't always understand and get. It's not just boogeymen and creatures. In fact, most people are bound by ideas and teachings. Okay? Now, let's go on. Seducing and deceiving spirits. Now, I found this interesting when I looked up in the Greek seducing spirit. It said, wandering, roving, vagabond, and tramp misleading into error, an imposter, a deceiver, a corrupter. When I read that and I thought about wandering, roving, and a vagabond, what are they looking for? A place to stay. It goes right with the whole understanding that Jesus taught about these spirits. Roving and wandering, looking for a place to stay. I, I want them to know, you can't stay at this house. Not wanted here. I'm filled up. Right? All right, we need to understand that. Folks, what we need to understand is the people we're ministering to, you know, when when you're looking at them and you're understanding them, get that heart of compassion that they are in bondage many times to demonic spirits so that you would have compassion to to pray and release them. We get caught up in in who they are. They're bad people. We don't like them because they do bad things. Why? Why? They're deceived, and they're being led astray. We need to help them and pray for them. Let's go on. Again, doctrines of demons, doctrines, lies, demonic ideas, and also physical maladies. They well could be uh, demonized with physical maladies. Now, there's combinations to this too. There are many people who have physical illness, maybe brought on by demonic, maybe brought on by ideas and concepts about themselves. Some people's idea, is, uh, idea of themselves is wrapped up in the condition they're in. They've, they've grown accustomed to the, to the care that they get from it. It's hard to give it up, it's tough. All right, so there's all sorts of reasons and ideas. Physical body, mental soul, it's all uh, 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 can be involved in the activity of demonic spirits. It can also be natural problems, of physical problems, or just wrong thinking too. doesn't mean it's a demon. I need to keep qualifying that so that you aren't overemphasizing one or the other. We need to be balanced in all we do. Amen? Acts 10.38 said this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. All right? So they can be oppressed by a demon and need healing or deliverance. It can take many different shapes and many ideas. Let's take a quick stop here. Questions or discussion? Anybody have any thoughts or ideas that you want to talk about? Yes. Recently a group of people started talking about the end times rather than concentrating on what Jesus was going to do for the believer at that time, they began to rehearse all the things, all the bad things that are gonna happen in this world and it almost became pressing. Yes. Yes. I agree wholeheartedly. When I began to reread the book of Revelation the last two and a half years, and I began looking at it from a different vantage point, remember it's a revelation of whom? Jesus. Most of the church today doesn't read it as a revelation of Jesus. They read it as a revelation of the Antichrist. They read it as a a revelation of how bad everything's going to get. they got their eyes on the wrong thing. And when I began reading it more as to who Christ is and what these things taking place are trying to reveal and accomplish, I began to see that there's great power and authority, that great revival will come, and great moves of God's Spirit. So if you want to keep your eyes on the darkness, it will overtake you. But if you keep your eyes on the light, you'll be used by that light. I'm agreement with you 100%. yeah very good point yes you 're right, yes, in the back, Gordon absolutely. The book of revelation tells us that there will be many lying signs and wonders he will do so many amazing miracles that even the elect the elect if it's possible could be deceived so that's pretty strong it's a pretty strong delusion okay anyone else okay all right let's move on all right now let me begin to help you discern how to go about dealing with these demons Much of this is a matter of legal rights, okay? It's a matter of being a lawyer. And let me also preface and say this. How to cast out demons, how to deal with demons, there's no one way to do it, all right? It isn't, you know, seven points, by my book, this is the only way to do it. Because there's 37,000 books on how to deliver demons. Everybody's got an idea, everybody's got a way, and they work, You know who is a tremendous force in casting out demons throughout church history? The Catholic Church. The Catholic Church had a very powerful ministry against possession and demons. And many of it was simply reading prayers. And reading Catholic prayers, using holy water, using the cross, they had a very powerful deliverance ministry and accomplished great things. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so it it, it, and some people are shouters, some people are screamers and yellers, some people are as quiet and can move into the area that they need to. There's all many all kinds of different ways. And all kinds of different responses. So don't think there's one way only. Well, they taught me this way, and that's the only way I do Okay, good for you. But there's so many different ways. And there are times when God will deliver someone just sovereignly, and you didn't even have anything to do with it. People can get delivered during a worship service. People can get delivered. I've seen this a number of times. People come up for salvation. Boom, immediately delivered of demonics. People getting baptized. While they're getting baptized, they're getting delivered. Okay, it's a, it's a work of God. And so there's many different ways. But many times when you're dealing with demonization, woundedness, and dealing with people, a lot of it has to do with legal authority and rights. Dealing with Christians. If a Christian's been born again, they've been bought with a price. They're no longer their own. They belong to Jesus Christ. That's the legal authority. Now the reason that there may still be some demonization within a Christian is because entrance was found. Wow. Ephesians 4:27 says this, neither give place to the devil. All right? Don't give place. Now, Ephesians 4 is talking about forgiveness. Don't have unforgiveness in your heart. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, what are you giving place to? Uh, the devil. The devil. Okay, So a foothold, he opens the door. There's ways in which the enemy can come in. And so many times, if Christians are demonized, it's because a door was opened somewhere, and it may even be before they came to Christ, and it hasn't been healed up yet. It hasn't, they've still allowed that area of their life to be dominated by a lie or a wound or something of the enemy. Now, people, there are people who would oppose this teaching, and they would say, hey, how can light dwell with darkness in this vessel? Right? Well, uh, this vessel is pretty complex. And though the Spirit of God comes to inhabit us and dwell in us, there are still things within us, as Paul says, that need to be renewed. If our minds need to be renewed... Our soul needs to be renewed. There's places within us that have not come into renewal. Does that make sense to you? So if early in your childhood, if early in your life, or it could have been three weeks before you got saved, or whatever, a trauma comes in and you give entrance to the enemy, then just because you get saved doesn't mean it's gone if that particular area of your soul hasn't been healed or dealt with. When Christ saves us, He takes us completely. Oh, come on. Are you saying that there are Christians who get saved and there's still demonic oppression and influence in them? Absolutely. Absolutely. The soul is a universe in and of itself, I'm telling you. It is complex and huge. And God is working through us and in us. And he doesn't just eradicate everything because much of what that demon is holding on to or that oppression or ideology is holding on to is part of us. And truth has to extract it and break away from us. All right? Now, this is one of my favorite verses The entrance of your word brings light. In other words, truth will always dispel darkness. And so what has to happen is revelation has to come to that person that needs deliverance. A lie very well may be keeping someone in bondage. And the enemy may be really blocking someone's life. And until revelation comes to break the lie, they'll continue to believe it. Let me give you an example. Some of you hold opinions of yourself that are bondages that the enemy put in you long ago. And you still choose to believe them. And they're beyond just lies, they're oppressed by an enemy. But there'll be a time, maybe in worship, that God brings a revelation to that. Or maybe when you're sharing with a friend, they say something. Or someone's teaching, and a verse comes forward, and a revelation comes. Why have I been thinking that all my life? That is a lie, and instantly you can be delivered of that. All right, That kind of demonic oppression has many different uh, sizes, small and big to it. Okay? See what I'm saying? Again, it doesn't have to mean that you're going to puke green and your head's going to spin and you're going to go, ah! <laughs> Deliverance can also be as simple as, oh, wow. Thank God. And you're delivered. All right? It comes in many different sizes. Now, uh, let's, when we're going to deal with this, let's first of all look at how the entrance comes for these footholds of the enemy. Number one, we saw that they tempt. Temptation to sin. Now, we all are tempted to sin. Does that mean we're demonized? No. We fall to sin. Does that mean we're demonized? No. But if it's repetitive enough, if it gets anchored in you enough, if the sin is is besetting to such a place that you can't shake it, the enemy, you're giving him a realm through repetition and through working into your soul a stronghold that he will want to then begin to guard and take up residence in that lie. All right? Again, it doesn't have to be a being. It can be an ideology, an impression by the enemy. And I'm not going to define that. All right? So I I, I can't to to say it looks like this, it's that, it's this person. I I, I can't do that. I, I don't know the dimensions of demons. Okay? Uh, but they're spirit beings and so it could take on some dynamic a doctrine of a demon is still demonically led do you get this a doctrine that you believe is demonically led it's a doctrine of a demon so that demon is empowering that doctrine in your thought life do you understand that okay okay That's why when people come to Christ, one thing we want to do is we have our deacons praying for you. When you get baptized, we want to take you, as the early church did, we want to take you to make sure that as you're coming into Christ, that we're breaking demonic strongholds. Have you forgiven those that you have an issue with? Have you come out of a cult? Let's pray against the doctrine of demons to deliver you in that. All right? So when you're coming into salvation and and deacons here, when you're praying for people for baptism, we're going through deliverance for them all right let's go on could be temptation you retrieve it it could be accusation you receive it. all your life you may have been accused of being this or that and it wore such a groove and such a hole in your soul that it's taken residence for you to believe that have any of you had to deal with that okay i know deception seducing spirits they deceive and you may be deluded about something. You may be deceived over something. And the enemy has successfully blinded you by deception. And so we've got to get light to come in. Generational curses. Some of you are, uh, may have come from generational curses where you are a particular this or that in society. What you have come through. Who you are. And how you're identified. In Christ, they need to all be broken. Sometimes they're not automatically broken because in your family line it was so thick that, and, and so powerful that it needs attention to be drawn to it. Now God's going to want to bring you to that. The one who wants you delivered most is Jesus. Yes, He's constantly working on bringing truth into you so that you will be breaking all these curses and lies off of you. He's not waiting and saying oh it's too bad you're all messed up. It's His desire to do that. That's why through the preaching, through worship, through prayer, can I tell you, to pray in the Holy Spirit, to be in prayer, to be in worship, these are the times when God can do so much delivering power. When you exalt Him, something happens in the renewal and identity of who you are. Now let's go on. Occult activity. Some of you may have been involved. Someone mentioned a couple weeks ago Ouija boards, seances. Remember as kids you did all sorts of goofy stuff. Maybe some of you belonged to churches that were actively involved in that. Okay, So that's a linkage to an occult activity. If you didn't renounce it and it's still latent and dormant in you, it needs to be dealt with. The early church understood this and spent a lot of time in the realms of deliverance. Basically, what we do many times as churches is we say, come on, come on to church, sing a little, give us your tithe, go home. Thanks for being a Christian today. So much more to it. We're being delivered out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of glorious light. We've got to let this light invade every part of us. That's why I encourage you, folks, I encourage you to to praise God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and body. Begin to study, begin to worship, pray, and open your hearts to God so He can do this cleansing work in us and continue to deliver us. All of us, we always need to be in this place of continual cleansing. Now let's go on. There are also entrants by force. There's traumas. The enemy always loves to wreck people's lives when they're young. He introduces trauma into the young people. One of the biggest ways is through sexual trauma. Because sex and spirituality are very closely linked. Very closely linked. Okay, Sexuality and spirituality, very closely linked. And so what the enemy will do many times is, is abuse someone sexually or verbally or whatever, uh, cause them to be raped or, or, or fondled or this or that. It creates a trauma. And where there's a trauma, you record a message. You always write down a story to go along with what happened. And there may truly have been an event But what that event meant may not be what you're writing down. You're writing down what you think it meant. Someone may have hurt you, someone may have wounded you, and you may have come up to the conclusion and wrote it down in your soul, I deserved it. Or I'm useless. Or God doesn't love me or protect me. You may have written something down to that that is not true at all, but that's how you recorded it. And that creates a stronghold and that trauma creates uh, the enemy being able to stay in that place and continue to punish you under your own volition. Because you recorded it under your understanding. Also, altered states of mind. Alright, there's all sorts of ways to have an altered state of mind. Transcendental meditation, different kind of meditations and, and uh, trances, as well as alcohol, drugs, uh, pills, you name the type of drug. Anything mind-altering, put yourself in the realm where you're in that spirit realm where the enemy can enter. Okay. So you've got to be careful of that. Some of you who are uh, totally linked up with alcohol, you need to begin praying, Father God, thank you for delivering me from alcohol, but also break, and I renounce alcohol and the spirit of alcoholism on me and my family, and I plead the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from that. Maybe your drug use from younger years, you need to pray to be cleansed from that, that any spirit attached to it, I break it in Jesus' name so it has no entrance in my life. Okay. Alright, so these these are things where the enemy can come in. When most of these happen, either by us accepting it, or doing it, or receiving it, or writing down in our own heart, what we've done is we've allowed legal entrance of the enemy to be there. Okay? If someone comes to your door, or through your side window, and you don't resist, you say, come on in. And, and then, you know, someone else calls the police, and they come to the door, and they say, hey, you have an intruder? Well, I allowed him in. The pers- that intruder says, hey, they let me in. i got a right to be here, they invited me in. Many times the demonic have a right to be there because we invited them in. And we've allowed them by our actions and activities. Many times we want them out, but we don't know how. And many times, most of the times, we don't know we're in agreement with them. That we let them in. That's where deliverance comes in to help. And let me give you an illustration of that, okay? So let's begin to understand how to bring about deliverance. The entrance of your words brings light. You need to know your position. I told you this before. Who are you in Christ? Do you understand who you are in Christ? If you're the cowardly lion, the enemy is going to intimidate you and scare you from going anywhere. But if you know who you are in Christ, your authority over demonic, and to not be intimidated, but to know being led by the Spirit of God, we can find peace. Look, you might not be able to solve this thing right away, but you just ask God what needs to be done that moment, that hour, and just find the revelation for that day. He'll lead you and guide you. But do it as a lion. Do it as the Son of God, all right? Be bold. Don't fear the devil. God will lead you. Okay? Now, I want to give you an illustration that I've used quite often. i found this through my own experiences. Many times, this is how I, use, this is how I work in deliverance, and I found it to be very successful. Our objective is not to cast the demon out, but to heal and care for the person. That's our objective. When you get into deliverance, most people get excited, and I'll be one of the first ones to admit it, to fight a demon is very exhilarating because the Bible comes alive. Wow, what I'm reading is real. It's right in front of my face. Whoa, this is exciting. I bind you in Jesus' name. He yells back at you and you go, whoo, glory. You can get all caught up in that. And he loves that. He loves that. Here's our main objective always. is to heal and minister to that person so that they get set free. So let me give you the illustration that God's given me and this is how I do most of my deliverance. Other people do different kinds and different ways. But... All right, let's say you have a wound, a sliver, if you will. That sliver embeds itself into your hand through a trauma, through an experience, through whatever labors or activities you've done. How many of you ever had a sliver? It hurts. It gets embedded in you under the skin. It's inside you, okay? Now, what happens if that is never extracted or healed? Infection comes and comes around it. Now, that splinter is a wound or a lie. Something you believe about yourself. An event took place, you wrote something down about yourself that is a lie. The enemy reinforces that lie. He keeps having other people come and tell you that same lie. You have experiences through your life that keep fortifying that lie and emphasizing it. The enemy will make sure that people come around and echo it. And you experience and feel it. And it stays there it can grow into a stronghold. It can grow into something deep that it becomes infected to where the enemy begins to encamp around it because the lie is the legal right for the enemy to be there or the trauma or the wound. And so the enemy comes and attaches itself to the wound and that's its right to be there and like the infection, it comes to take its place there. It doesn't dominate you. You still love the Lord. You still praise God. You still live your life, but there's a weakness there and the enemy still pummels you and oppresses you in that place. It could be big. It could be small. Okay? All right. Now, what happens many times is we, we, we're seeking deliverance and we go and we want to get prayed for and people come to pray to get rid of the infection. Let's get rid of the infection, right? And so people get rid of the infection and cast out the demon. Hey, that is great! And so we thank God for deliverance. With the demon's gone, that's wonderful. But what happens? If you didn't go for the wound, if you didn't go for the lie, and you just did the casting out and the deliverance of the demonic, what will come back? the infection the infection will come right back because the issue wasn't dealt with the demons not the issue he's able to stay because the issue is what you're believing or trusting or understanding about God or yourself or the wounded or the trauma it's the splinter so what do we need to go after the splinter, the lie. And so we sit with people. We pray with them. We begin to ask the Holy Spirit to minister truth and revelation. As we're talking, the Holy Spirit begins to help you discern what's going on in their life. They're beginning to understand where's the source and origin of this. God will take you there. God will begin to show you where it came in. How it's hurting you. That could happen in a sermon. It could happen in worship. It could happen listening to the radio. It could happen with a friend on the back porch. It could happen anywhere with truth. The entrance of your word brings truth revelation you begin to realize oh my gosh i've been believing this about me or i thought that happened because god didn't love me or i can't accept love because i was this or i was that in that stronghold what you begin to do revelation or truth is the tweezers You see, and this is what God does. He floods you with truth. He brings the truth in so he can extract the lie, but keep who you are intact. Look, if God just delivered us from all our misunderstandings and lies and brokenness, we'd be going, because it's all entangled in who we are. So he surgically takes truth to take out the lies. And as he extracts the lie, What ground is there for that infection to remain? None. Now the deliverance can go so quickly and so easily because it no longer has a legal right to be there. When the person finds that truth, finds that revelation, you pray with them and you say, let's renounce that. People have bound themselves to vows. I'll never be like my mother. I'll never be like my father. I'll never serve this. I'll never say that. You know, we create vows. We create lies. When you find them, whether you were involved in a false religion, you were involved in something, and you renounce them, you get that when you're with them. You say, okay, come on now. Let's renounce this. God's showing you to be that it was a lie. Renounce it in Jesus' name. Jesus, I no longer want this. I renounce it in Jesus' name and i receive the truth that you've brought to me now you can now you move towards the demonic and you say you have no right and no legal authority to be here any longer and in jesus name i command you to go to his feet right now and they have no legal right they can argue they can put up a fight and you stop them and you say ah, 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 you have no authority to be here now sometimes they'll say yes i do i have a right So you pursue it and you'll find out that there's another area that you haven't touched yet that is another lie, and you go after it. And when you're able to clean up the woundedness and the brokenness, you can cast that demon out because it has no legal right to remain there. And basically, I've been talking about a believer Unbelievers, the first thing you want to do is get them saved. Just get them saved. Bring them to Christ. Bind the work of the enemy, and try and get them to Christ. Because then, that after that, we want to work on delivering them. Amen. Now, let me give you some last notes. They're clean. Ending notes. There also can be some complications. This, I, I, I'm giving you a lesson in an hour on how to do deliverance. Um, but like I said earlier, the soul is like a universe in and of itself. It's vast. And it's very creative. So some of the complications in all of this, and as you get better at it, and as you learn, and as you grow in it, you're going to find maybe different avenues of brokenness in people's lives. There's something called disassociation where people through such trauma have actually created compartments within their own soul. They've been traumatized in such a way that through that trauma, they created a protector. It's not a demon, but it's just something within them that is now protecting that child that was abused or hurt. And they begin to compartmentalize places in themselves. Those places need to be integrated back into the wholeness of who they are, now that's healing, and that's an area that you need to minister. And of course, the word of God is what's going to do it—the Spirit of the Lord. But sometimes you might be talking to someone that is you think's a demon, and it's an altar. It's 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 a, a disassociated part of them that wants to come to Christ, doesn't know if it can trust Christ, and and you can integrate it back. And there's ways to find out if it's a demon or if it's a part of them. All right. Now that's that's complicated, and so. We, we want to bring other people in who work in that level to help uh, bring that back. Uh, you, I, I've mentioned, you know, the demon says or the demon this uh, speaks back to you and all that. You've always got to remember demons are liars. So they want to lie to you. They want to throw you off course. They want to uh, be boisterous and this and that. But one thing you can remember about demons is, and Pastor Ron always says this and I like it, is that they always overplay their hand. They're full of pride. They're full of pride. And they think they're so clever and they think they're so smart. And so you can outwit them. You have to be careful. All right? People ask, well, where do we send them? Do we send them to the pit? Right? Should they be sent to the pit? Should they be sent here? Do we send them there or there? I don't have any authority to send them anywhere except to Jesus. Jesus, you take care of them. You go report to Jesus. Go report to the Lord. He can deal with it. Who am I to send him to the pit? I, you know, So I just feel we send them to Jesus. They have to report to God. So we, I send them to the feet of Jesus. Um, remember the cross is where they were defeated, so we always go back to the cross. In deliverance, go back to the cross. They hate that. Can I also tell you that if you're involved in ministering and, and operating with the demonic realm, you want to be able to be praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, all right praying in the spirit that's available to every believer not the gift of tongues but the prayer language of tongues is available to every believer so i encourage you to move into that begin to learn to pray in tongues pray in the spirit demons hate it because you're beginning now to pray under the will and unction of the holy spirit you're better off doing that now When you're done, you seal what was accomplished by the blood of the Lamb and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe not everything was accomplished that day that should have been or whatever. Have confidence in God. Have confidence in the Holy Spirit. I always, when I'm ministering to people, I don't try to fix everything in one session. What I look for is the one revelation God wants that day for that person in that hour or two hours or whatever. Sometimes the Lord will lead you all the way. It may be a long time. You may have to go all that length of time. But many times, I I, want to find that one thing that God wants accomplished, that revelation that needs to come forth. It may cast out a particular demon. It may not be all done. But what ground you've taken, you now seal it with the blood of Jesus and don't allow anything back. Okay. And it's a progressive work that is ongoing. Last of all, the person needs to begin to have a mind renewed and living out in what they have, the ground they've taken. They have to leave things behind and press forward so that their deliverance is solid and continues. Amen. 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 Praise God.